0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into it today, please make sure you follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine and my YouTube channel that you can find by searching my name, Felix Levine, there on YouTube. And if you are listening to this right now, which you are if you're hearing this, please make sure you rate and review the show five stars on Apple's podcast app. That would mean a lot. I also want to do something a little bit different that I that I haven't done before, And it's really for me to to get to know you, the listeners. You guys have been so supportive of me for a while, listening to my episodes, watching them on YouTube, but I've never really had the opportunity to, to, to kind of communicate with you guys directly, and I want to change that. So what I want to start doing is, at the beginning of all my episodes, reading out some of your stories, and that could be, you know, things about you. Who are you? What do you do? What do you like about the show? What can be improved about the show? And... Have kind of that back and forth between some of the people that listen to me because I think that that's really what, what it's all about. So you can either go to my website, felix-levine.com and find some of my contact information there. Send me an email or on Instagram at felix.levine. In the DMs, I respond to all of them. So send me your stories. I want to get to know you. Let's get it started. Send me your messages. And I truly cannot wait to get to know you guys better. And my guest today. You went from being a chicken chopper at Foster Farms to a multi million dollar CEO and now helps people every day with coaching. Please welcome Richard Bliss Brooke. And we're live. Richard, thank you uh, so much for taking the time today. i'm uh, I'm very excited to have you on my show. Thank you, Felix. It's an honor to be here. So I told you a few seconds ago if there was a little, maybe a little tidbit a little something that the world doesn't know about Richard Blissbrook, um, you know, entice me. <laughs> well, two
1: things came up that I don't know, they're totally different, but uh, one is I'm a helicopter pilot. And and I didn't start that process until the age of fifty, and and I kind of wrecked my helicopter too once, and the other is I've been to Cuba four times. Those are the t- only two things that most people don't know about me. How did you be... How
0: did you wreck the helicopter?
1: Uh, it, it was a weight and balance thing. I landed it on my helipad at my house, which was a deck cantilevered off a pretty steep hillside and I parked it too far back on the deck. So the back half of the helicopter was hanging over the hill. Uh. And as soon as I got out of the helicopter, so I shut it down, I got out, my weight unweighted the front of the helicopter. And I I stood there watching it (laughs) as it did this. (laughs) And then it slid on the skids down the deck until the tail uh, stuck in the hillside below it, and it just sat there.
0: It was a very surreal experience. And uh, since then, have uh, have you gotten? A, is that helicopter functioning? Is it completely? Yeah, yeah just a twenty thousand dollar two month <laughs> m- mistake.
1: Unfortunately, since the blades weren't turning, it's not considered a. Um, yeah, uh, an accident on my pilot Insurance. record. It's more like in the same category as if a tree fell on it.
0: <laughs> so, well, I love that story. I um, wasn't expecting that. Um, there's uh, so I want to start maybe a little bit from from the beginning. Um, big shout out to to Todd Tardom- Todd Armstrong who who connected us. And uh, I get I got your your little blurb of course, and I, I think one sentence. Uh, really stood out to me um, and I think is really cool for the people out there that aren't familiar with your story. I'm just going to read it really quick because I think it's a it's a cool little description. It says he as in you, yourself, Richard, um, was only 36 years old when Success Magazine featured his journey from earning three dollars and five cents an hour, cutting chickens for foster farms to create creating millionaires from his sales training and performance coaching. Um, I guess for the for the average person out there. How does one go from earning three dollars and five cents an hour cutting chickens uh, at Foster Farms to, uh, you know, high success in sales training and performance coaching?
1: Well, well, maybe two things. One, you're never going to make that kind of money at an hourly wage. Right. <laughs> so one is I moved from working at foster farms which is linear income working by the hour to uh getting in a system where not by employing people but by building a sales organization um i got eventually about 30,000 people around the world that i got a very small commission on their sales so i leveraged myself you know even if you make $500 or $1,000 an hour, your income is limited by that li- the linear nature of your income. So I got in an income model where I could leverage myself. Like Jay Paul Getty said it the best. I'd rather have 1% of 100 men's effort than 100% of my own. And the second half of that uh, answer, Felix, is is what I call transformational development. I assaulted on a regular basis for years and and have ever since my my limiting beliefs, my self-esteem, the way I see the world, my habits. I reinvented myself over and over and over and over and over and over again because Although there may not always be a direct correlation, there is a very strong tendency that you and I are going to earn in relationship to the service we provide other people, and the service we provide other people is in large part who we are. Who we are as leaders, who we are as, um, you know, thinkers, as servants as you know, people with empathy and skills and coaching and vision and listening. And so to the degree that who you are benefits other people, perhaps allows other people to earn money or better their lives, then we can earn in accordance with that. So the guy who worked at the chicken plant was obviously only worth $3.05 an hour to foster farms because that's what they paid that position. And I accepted the position. And so what I went about doing is becoming worth more. And then of course, you know get in a system that recognizes the more. And so this, the short answer is transformational development. Just become somebody different every every 90 days, every every year, every decade. I have totally reinvented myself.
0: Now, at Foster Farms, when did you first uh, start working there? How old were you?
1: Uh, I was 18, uh, right out of high school. I did not go to college. I barely got out of high school. It wasn't stupid, I just hated school. And I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley of California, which is an ag area. And so if you don't get really good grades, in high school you know I, my parents weren't gonna like pay for college for me i would have had to somehow i don't know how i would have gone to college but um i had a 1.9 gpa and so if if you have those kind of grades and you're not i wasn't an athlete i mean i played sports but i wasn't like a that kind of athlete um you know you're going to end up back in the ag community in california you're going to end up back on the farm the ranch or you're gonna end up working in probably in some kind of food processing plant, whether it's the Ragu Spaghetti Factory or Foster Farms or something like that. And so I worked there for four years and Felix, I would have just retired from Foster Farms a couple of years ago, 40 year career at Foster Farms, uh, had they not at the four year mark arbitrarily, without asking me, changed their company policy. And this is a billion dollar company, 3,000 employees they changed their policy company-wide that you couldn't advance any further than I already was without a four-year college degree. Mm. And I was, I started off cutting chickens and within about six months, they saw I was really good at that because I was physically adept and worked hard and, um, you know, so they promoted me to a foreman, I got a blue hat, and then a year later, I got a white hat and then they knocked me back down to a blue hat because I told my boss to go to hell in front of his boss, which is, which is you know, that wasn't politically smart, right? But that was kind of a, give you a snapshot of who I was at the age of 20 years old. Um, not a very appropriate person. So when foster farms changed their policy, I, you know, I was just like, wow. But I would have stayed there. I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the the management structure. Um, My role model was the guy who ran the chicken plant, and you know, it's that that would have been my life. You know, I would have ended up in the bar every night, like everybody else at Foster Farms, and go hunting on weekends. Forty years later, you retire on one third
0: of what was never enough for forty years. Did you ever, uh, during that time, I mean, was the goal for you to, to get out? I mean, did you want another, you know, profession?
1: No, no, I loved it there. I, I planned on being there the rest of my, my career. Um, I mean, the only reason I got out is they changed the policy. So I could not move up in that company and that, and I was, you know, I didn't have any coaching on goal setting or career or anything like that, but I was just naturally goal oriented. I wanted to continue to move up in the management structure and their policy blocked that. So I just became open to other opportunities. And so I ended up in business, which is a was a far cry from anything I would have ever chosen. I was not a business person, not an entrepreneur, not a people person, total introvert, didn't even like people hated salespeople and sales peep like the whole concept of sales i was i I grew up in on a remote ranch i didn't grow up around other kids and so i was very comfortable with animals and nature but not other people and the chicken plant kind of was well suited for that because everybody at the chicken plant spoke either portuguese or spanish and so I didn't really have to interact with people, right? You just kind of bark orders, which is different than sales and leadership, right? Sales and
0: leadership and entrepreneurship
1: is not barking orders.
0: Now, how did you make that transition from being that, you know, uh, somewhat shy introvert or someone who didn't have much care to, to talk to, you know, the people you're working with to, to now what you do um, which is, you know, communicate with people and, you know, you've been in, uh, a keynote speaker in a lot of places. So to, to become more communicative and, um, you know, I guess less introverted, maybe you're introverted in personal life, but, um, you know, less introverted, at least publicly. Right.
1: Yeah. It was, it's kind of a weird sleight of hand. So a friend of mine, actually high school buddy, same guy that got me the job at the chicken plant. He had gotten involved in an an opportunity, a sales business kind of opportunity, and he was very suited for that. He was very gregarious, outgoing, life of the party. You know, everybody was always listening to Steve. You know, so if there was a party, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people at a party, everybody would be listening to Steve. I would be over in the corner just listening to everybody and watching everybody. So he got involved in this Thing, This business thing, and he wanted me to get involved in it, and I went and looked at it, and I, I, don't, I don't know anything about this. This requires that I go out and sell and promote and talk to people and you know, wear a suit and all this kind of stuff that just wasn't me at all. So when I say sleight of hand, the business itself did not appeal to me at all, and it was a business that promoted, hey, if you do this, you can make a lot of money. That didn't even appeal to me. I really was just somebody who wanted to live a simple life. But while I say sleight of hand, the people that were involved in that business, the leadership in that business, the owner of the business, and some of the top lieutenants in that business portrayed a characteristic, a style that I'd never seen before, which we would now call mentorship or coaching or leadership they showed a deep and sincere interest in me, which at the age of 22, my parents hadn't even shown a deep and sincere interest in me. Nobody else had shown a deep and sincere interest in me. And they asked me questions nobody would ever asked me before. Like, what do you want to do with your life? Who do you want to be? What do you like about yourself? What would you like to change about yourself? If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you want to live? And I'm thinking, what? I mean, I live in Livingston, it's 11 miles from where I grew up in Merced, I guess somewhere between Livingston and Merced, I don't know, what are you talking about? Live anywhere in the world. I just didn't have that kind of viewpoint. And you know, for listeners, this was 1977, there was no internet, right? Things were a little simpler back then. But what caught me Felix were, were uh, individuals who had spent their business career developing other people they they were business people that realized that how you succeed in business is by developing people and you can develop pretty much anybody that is willing to be developed you can coach anybody that's willing to be coached and i was very coachable so even though i was stubborn and i was an introvert and i was negative i kept showing up for the coaching, I kept showing up for the conversation. I actually looked at this business opportunity every day for three weeks before I got involved. And what kept me coming back was curiosity. So I've always been curious. And even though I've not always been coachable, I've always wanted to better myself. And so I just, found a group of people that were very successful in business. I liked the way they talked. I liked the way they walked. I liked the way they moved in the world. I liked the way they interacted with other people. They had great confidence and self-esteem, but at the same time, they had peace and they had power. And I wanted that. So I paid attention to them. And they were so attractive that they overrode my objection to their business model. Hmm. So I got involved in the business model really just so I could stay in their presence, stay under their tutelage, if you will. And it took two and a half years for them and their systems and personal development and you know all of that stuff to mold me into somebody that was willing to talk to other people, listen to other people, uh, not bring my farm and ranch mentality to, uh, the people business and, you know, it worked.
0: Do you think that ultimately, if you hadn't, um, had that experience working at a, at the chicken farm, uh, that, you know, you would have the life that you have today. Do you, do you think that there was, are you, are you grateful for that? Those years that you spent on, on that farm?
1: Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, it didn't prepare me to be in the people business, but there was a certain um, there was a certain level of confidence and peace and um, authenticity that came with being raised on a ranch. Um, you know, when you're when you're raised on a ranch, you're not you don't grow up trying to impress the chickens or the horses, right? But I think maybe when you grow up around other kids, there's all that dynamic of, you know, who's the most popular and, you know, how do I impress these kids and how do I keep up with the Joneses, right? I didn't have any of that. Um, so I I think I grew up with some inner peace. You know, the fact that I worked at Foster Farms did not actually prepare me to succeed in business at all. But as you know, Felix, um, you know with every adversity comes the seed of equal or greater benefit and some people might see the chicken plant experience for me as an adversity it actually was my greatest asset i have made a significant amount of income and created a significant amount of wealth from the chicken plant story mm, how so people love the story uh. in fact Uh, I, I interviewed the editor of Success Magazine after he interviewed me. And one of the questions I asked him is, why me? I wasn't the most successful person in business. I wasn't the most successful person in my profession. The article was on my profession. They chose me out of, I don't know, 10 million people. And I wasn't the most successful person in the profession by far. And I asked him, why me? And he said, we really like that chicken
0: plant angle. Hey, hey, I mean, it's true. And I think it's, uh, I think it also is inspiring just because, you know, um, I mean, granted it was a slightly a different time, but not needing to go to college or not needing to go the conventional route to, to have success for me is always inspiring whenever you hear it, because, you know, I think a lot of kids and, and the way our society is formed these days is to make sure you do, you know, A, B, C, so that you can get to D. Um, but, you know, I, you're, I think you're a great example of, of how that's not the case. But I also wanna bring you back really quick to something you said earlier uh, with regards to coaching and being coachable. When you do your um, your coaching and when, when you, I guess, evaluate a human being, what are some of the big uh, characteristics that you look for to see if they are, in fact, coachable or not?
1: Um, well, you give them assignments. Right. That's probably the best way. Uh in, in developing business people and leadership around me, I tend to not pay very much attention to what people say and pay a great deal more attention to what they do. So a lot of people will show up and say, I want this, I want that, I want to make more money, I want to be successful, what whatever, right? People are pretty loose with their lips, but they don't necessarily back it up with action and people make promises all the time. And, you know, it's like, um, you know, uh, people are like a, a quote that I have is people are absolutely unequivocally committed right up to the moment. They're not mm. right. <laughs> right. They're, they're committed to one thing right up to the moment they commit to something else. And so people are fickle in that way. And so when I'm working with somebody, I give them assignments. So, you know, go read this chapter or listen to this, you know, podcast or, you know, do this exercise, write some things down or, you know, go make three sales calls. And tomorrow, let's talk, talk about who you talk to, what they said, what you said. And the people that come back and have actually completed completed the assignment are people I continue to coach, whether they're paying me or not. And it's crazy. I'm sure, you, you've experienced this. How many times people will throw money and somehow think that throwing money at a course or coaching or or business opportunity is going to result in success? They don't do the work, but they'll throw money at it. Right. So even throwing money at something is not action. It's not the action that produces results. The only thing that produces results is. You know what's the strategy that the coach is going to help you with, that's going to produce results, and are you willing to do that?
0: And what do you and, think? What do you think separates the the good uh, quote unquote clients or people that you coach um, from the great ones?
1: Um, good from great. Well. Every just about everything in my career, Felix has boiled down to motivation. Uh, that's my that's my jam, and and internal motivation, not the kind of motivation that that is created by pursuing being number one or winning a contest or setting records or that kind of stuff. But in my experience, the people that um, live great lives, which doesn't necessarily mean they advance the highest in business or they make the most money or they have the most sculpted body or. Right. They don't always check all the boxes on the traditional. This is the definition of success. My definition of success is like internal peace. Like, am I at peace? with who I am and what I'm doing with my life. And so the work that I do with people is develop that inner fire, that that inner direction that find that true north, like who are you? And and who are you now? Who do you wanna be? Why do you wanna be that person? And if you were to be that person, how would your life be different? What would you do with your life? What good would would you do with your life? What are you afraid of? What are you passionate about? It's a thousand questions. And the people that I find that go from good to great are the people that are willing to let go of an addiction to proving that they're the best or having to set the records or having to win all the contests. It's kind of an interesting irony that when we have an addiction to winning, The foundation of that addiction is actually a story, a a personality-defining story that we're somehow not enough. Hmm. And we need to spend our life proving that we are. So the people that can go in and reinvent that core childhood story and adopt a belief, a core belief, that they are enough that they are loved, that they do matter, that they are worthy human beings, they find a greater peace and power in living their lives, which includes accomplishment. They move into accomplishment with, you know, not the frantic addiction, the fear of losing or the fear of doing something wrong or the fear of having somebody Out, somebody else outdo them, all that kind of external neurotic motivation burns people out, does not endear them to society or their teammates or their family. The people that I find go great are the people that find uh, authenticity and inner peace. And with that comes great power.
0: Do you think that most, I guess, young, aspiring, successful people, if you will, um, need some sort of mentor or, or coaching in their life?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the word need would, you know, that's relative to what you want to accomplish, right? right? So let's say I'm 18 years old and I want to accomplish something. Well, if I already know how to do it, and if I'm already the person that that will do the work, that can manifest the result, then I guess I don't need coaching. But coaching is, by definition, is really designed for people who are taking on something that they don't have the ability to achieve. Mm. They're taking on a project, a goal, an accomplishment, a a reinvention of themselves and they're they recognize, you know what, I've never done this before, I don't know how to do it. Um, and you know, the people that have the conversation, I don't want any help. I want to I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to figure it out. That's that's also coming from trying to prove something. Right? Those are people who they're trying to prove they don't need help. They don't need coaching. Which comes from a lack of self-esteem. Right? Why would we have to prove something unless we had the story deeply embedded that it needed proving?
0: And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. They specialize in every single diet under the sun and have hundreds of paleo, keto, Whole30, sugar-free, and AIP-friendly options. All their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles, so you will never have any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. They ship anywhere in the country for only $9.50 for shipping and handling, and most orders are delivered within 24 to 48 hours of leaving their facilities. Go to uswellnessmeats.com today, and when you use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you'll receive 15% off storewide savings. Again, go to uswellnessmeats.com, use that promo code PODCAST, and you'll get 15% off of every single order. Go check it out today. Now let's get back into it. Now, what do you think is the process also for someone out there who's listening, who might be on the fence about um, either how to find the quote-unquote right coach or right mentor? Um, what are things for for them to to look for? And you know, because I'm sure that sometimes it might take a couple different people to find your right match.
1: Yeah, not only a couple different people to find the right match, but then you might find yourself <clears throat> doing that process every year or two the rest of your life because as you evolve you may need a different coach so like one really important criteria for me is i won't hire a coach unless they have a coach
0: Mm. do you have a coach for sure are you are you allowed to say who those people are
1: uh well my my primary coach right now is a guy named dewitt jones okay um he he doesn't he doesn't coach for a living but he is a coach (laughs) i mean it's just who he is
0: um what what are some of the things that you at this point in your life um look for and you know in in your coaching
1: you know it it just kind of what i was just talking about earlier where what what he supports me on the most is is staying present to what's the most important thing to me and not getting caught up in competition. So I am by nature a competitive person. I like to achieve things. I like to be the best. I like to accomplish things. And I spent my whole life and career developing an alternative source of power to that, which is more of a peaceful warrior, more of an authentic approach and so, you know, one of the conversations that DeWitt and I have on a regular basis is, you know, why am I pursuing that objective? Why, why am I trying to accomplish that? Like, what's what's the payoff for that? And what DeWitt listens to is the, the authentic nature of my response. Am I coming from trying to prove something? Am I tr- coming from, trying to, you know, be number one, which I'm not suggesting that people that operate, you know, with those kind of goals and that kind of motivation are bad people. My experience is just that when you do things for external motivation, for recognition, um, for setting records, for winning, for dominating, um, those people don't live great lives. they get burned out and they alienate people around them because the most important thing to them is being number one. And if the most important thing to me is being number one, then everybody around me has to be number two through a hundred, which does not, uh, that does not make for a beautiful community, right? Even a profession. So, So I'm in a very competitive profession and, You know, I I know who the number one people are in our profession and I would not trade places with them. They live miserable lives. Why? Because their whole life is about beating everyone around them. So they really don't have any authentic friends because nobody wants to be around them because it's always about being number one. Right. You know, it it doesn't matter if you're in business or you're in a, you know, there's six buddies that are hanging out playing pool. We don't enjoy being around the buddy who always has to beat everybody.
0: Were you, have you always so, have you it's oh, so, okay go ahead.
1: No, that's it. That's it.
0: Have you have you always had this sense of uh being okay or being at peace with yourself? I mean, I think that's one of the I mean, I've only talked to you for about 30 minutes now, but I think that's one of the the coolest takeaways that I've gotten is just um, you know, especially you're in a very highly competitive a profession, as you as you said, um, is to just be at peace with what you bring to the table, you know, what you bring to the table, you don't need to prove yourself. Um, have you always been that way? Or is that something that you had to, to work on?
1: You know, I think I had a piece of that just that came from, you know, live, growing up in solitude and growing up on the ranch and the farm. Um, but what got triggered is when I moved off the ranch and the farm and into business, and business is very competitive. Um, and, and the kind of business that I was in was a sales business, right? It was just all these contests and all this ranking and all these awards and, you know, um, that just kind of triggers all your competitive nature and we get caught up in that. So, you know, one of the things I noticed about you, Felix, and watching your story, cause I've been studying you is, um, you know, wow you you chose a very authentic path in developing your brand and your par- podcast. You you do it in a very authentic way, and I'm sure you have goals, and you know you want to achieve great things with your podcast. Um, but I see you doing it in a very authentic way, and. You know, that's hard for people because what we tend to do is if we have a goal of, okay, I want to be number one, well, we tend to look at, well, how does number one do it? And everybody tends to want to copy the way number one's doing it. And what we could get from really good coaching is, hey, just do you, right? Because if you can perfect doing you, A tribe will beat down your door, Mm. an authentic tribe. Will it be as big as number one's tribe? Well, maybe not. But if becoming number one causes you to be inauthentic, to try to be someone else all the time, you're never going to have peace. You're never going to have joy because you're going to be living a lie. You're, you're going to be dressed in clothes that you, you just don't feel comfortable in. And then you're going to be serving clients that you don't really even want to serve. You're going to be speaking messages, interviewing guests. You know, you're just, you're going to always just have a little bit, just going to be a little bit off. And you don't have to be a, very much off in life every day you know if you take a helicopter off from point a to point b and that gps is just off one degree well over a decade you're going to end up on a different planet Hmm. right so being off just a little bit in our authenticity what what i call true north like and everybody has a different true north, and it you know how I would find that out is I would ask you a thousand questions, and I would just listen for the truth, and and support you in staying grounded in that truth. That's what my coach does for me. That's what I do for other people because my one of my first mentors um, uh, said this. Uh, and I didn't really understand it when he said it, but I certainly have lived by it, and I understand more about it every day, that all personal power comes from self-honesty. Like just telling the truth and then living out of that truth. And so many of us live a lie because we're addicted to being someone we're not. And I know that sounds a little contradictory around transformational development, um, but it's not. Authenticity is the way you and I become great and even greater every year and produce the best quality gifts for the people that we serve.
0: Well, hey, first I appreciate um... The kind words thank you thank you for that because that that means a lot i mean you know i think i think you're right especially uh you know for myself who's young and still trying to grow a brand i think trying to be the joe rogan of the world is not the right way to do it um and nor will i be the joe rogan of the world um but i think you know it's it's the best you know i'm doing what i like to do and how i like to do it um after if there's adjustments along the way then we we make those but that means a lot so thank you for that and also i think i Speaking of authenticity, um, I'm wondering—you know—when you're working with clients, and you say, you know, I ask them a thousand questions. What are some of those big questions you perhaps ask, or some of your go-tos that might trigger that truly authentic response?
1: Oh, uh, questions like, um, what do you long? What do? You, what do you long to do? Felix, what would you love to do? Who would you love to be? Where would you love to go? What would you love to have? But most importantly, who would you love to be if the world gave you permission, if the world celebrated it? And the first part of the world we're gonna talk about is your parents. So, and I would dive a little deeper into that and ask you, who did your parents insist you become? And we would flush that out. And then I'd follow that up with, okay, is there any of those things, any of those values, any of those beliefs, any of those philosophies that you ever imagine you'd rather do something different? and in in crazy simple terms you know a lot of our authenticity is lost because we don't have the courage to disappoint our parents so right we, i so mean you can, everything from politics to religion to to money philosophies to who we marry what we eat what kind of truck we drive what kind of iphone we or what kind of smartphone we use right i mean You know, religions and politics is probably the biggest. But if you just think about how influential our parents are, why is that? Well, because by the time they have us, they're fully baked in their beliefs. They're, you know, 20, 25, 30 years old. And we're like one day old, one month old, six months old. We don't have any beliefs. We don't have any preferences. We don't drive fords over chevys when we're six months old right we don't vote liberal or conservative we don't even have a religion you know contrary to what some people might believe we don't and so here we are just this open book right blank pages and who writes the code our parents Hmm. and who are we to question the code when you're six months old we don't have any basis to question it. it, just gets fully imprinted. And then, you know, one of the cool things I like to show people is, okay, you can even do this in a chronological genealogy chart. Um, so let's look at your parents, Felix. How old were they? What era did they grow up? And now you're young, so your parents are probably even younger than me. I'm 65, they're, they're but 50. we could just look at the era in which they grew up, right? So my parents grew up in the 30s and 40s. And in that era, Felix, uh, cigarette companies hired medical doctors to endorse smoking cigarettes. Medical doctors recommended that pregnant women smoke certain brands of cigarettes. That's crazy. right? So that's just one of a hundred crazy things, right? Now go back to their parents who were raised in the late 1800s. What did they believe that we would consider pure insanity today? Go back to the early 1800s. What did they believe? Now we're talking about criminals, right? What? Even in North America, we're talking about anybody that was in the 17-1800s in North America, they created genocide without even thinking about it. They just marched their way east to west and killed every Native American they came in contact with, right? And I'm not suggesting Native Americans didn't reciprocate, but these are the people that we listen to. So part of becoming authentic is, you know, it's not like I coach a lot of 17-year-olds, but... When you're 27 or 37 or 47, you have enough life experience to be authentic, to have some authentic views on things. And that doesn't mean that you wouldn't choose your parents' views. What it means is there are some things that if you had total permission, you would pursue, you would be And, you know, some of those are big blocks of philosophy like religion and politics, and some of them are very subtle, stylistic. You know, how do you listen? How do you talk? How do you move in the world? What's your level of empathy? Where do you stand on diversity? And, you know, all of these things, again, it's just doesn't take a lot, right? One degree. So in all these questions, Felix, what I'm looking for is to move people maybe just one degree. Because over the next 10 years of living a life one degree, more authentic, dramatic difference.
0: Now, I have a quick question to just, just to wrap things up. Do you ever... Um think about, I mean, hopefully you have a lot of I was looking in the in the little blurb that I was sent, um a lot of great hobbies um that you like to do. You you live in Hawaii, correct? Yes. Um, you know, hopefully many, many more years of of long, healthy life. But do you ever think about uh the legacy that you hope to 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 leave on on this world, the the print? Cause I think that, you know, in your coaching and and even in your talking to me right now and a lot of things that I'm gonna to to hold on to, um you know, you're, you're influencing lives and you're hope, you know, I, I imagine changing a lot of them and inspiring people. Um, is that the legacy you hope to leave? Is there a separate legacy you hope to leave? I mean, what, what do you hope ultimately um, you know, people will remember you as?
1: Yeah. Good question. It's not for my accomplishments. Um, Cause they, they're all relative, right? My next door neighbor is Larry Ellison. I mean, he, he lives like 200 yards behind me. He's worth $85 billion, right? So anytime I ever think I've done something, <laughs> right? I don't know. It is, you know, I, I have spent my life, Felix, honoring the gift of my primary mentor. So the, you know, I told you about this group of, they were all men, but this group of men in this business who mentored me. And there was one in particular that I resonated with, And what I resonated the most about him is his vulnerability and his authenticity. And he was immensely powerful. There wasn't anything weak about him at all. And I I had the benefit of his coaching for nine months. And then he, oddly enough, took a very much needed vacation to Hawaii and got hit by a rogue wave and drowned. And the moment I found that out, I quit. I quit the business, I quit personal development, I quit everything and it was, you know, just for a moment. But the reason I quit is the way I had everything put together is as long as I had Kurt Robb, that was his name. As long as I had Kurt Robb to mentor me, then I, I might make it someday and it was really a The relationship I had set up was such that I dishonored the gifts that he gave me every day because he told me many, many times, he says, You already know everything you need to know to be successful. You already have it. Just go implement it. Just go do what we've talked about doing. And there's such a huge gap between knowing and doing, right? And so, about 20 minutes after I quit because he died, I had this epiphany. And you know, I think we can all look back on our lives and maybe pick out three or four defining moments um, where things happened, or insights came to us, or somebody said something. This was an insight. Nobody said anything to me. It was an insight. But, you know, maybe, maybe it came from God. I don't know, right? Um, and the insight was basically: if you quit, you have dishonored every gift this man ever gave you and even though it was nine months of gifts you you know he gave me a lot in nine months if you quit you dishonor the way to honor is to replace kurt rob not be kurt rob but contribute what kurt rob had contributed to me and so that was 1978 And from that moment, I have dedicated my life to coaching other people. And so the legacy that I might leave is, you know, I'm I'm not delusional. 99% of the people I've ever coached didn't remember a word I said, didn't do anything with it. But if a few people remembered a few words and moved one degree in their life, and a few of those people can pass that on to other people. That's legacy enough for me.
0: Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Um, people can follow you on Instagram at Richard Bliss Brook with an E at the end. Uh, your website, Richard Brook with an E at the end, of course, dot com. Uh, has all of the information about you, and if they want to get in touch with you, you have a bunch of different programs, books, podcasts, all that good stuff. Um, they can find all of that out there, I believe, and they can even get in touch with you, I imagine. Um, is there anything else that you want to plug away for people where they can find you or um, you know, listen to more or, or get in touch with you?
1: I'm old school. The easiest way to get in touch with me is email, <laughs> uh, which is rb at richardbrook.com um, I'm easy to find. but thank you, Felix. I'm very inspired by your vision and your authenticity and and your your success already. Um, you know, Todd spoke very highly of you. i I watched some of your stuff. I watched your style. I watched some of the people. and you're you're not Joe Rogan, and that's that's good. But you know the reason Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan is because he does Joe Rogan, (laughs) right? Unapologetically, and you're unapologetically doing Felix Levine, and I think that's super awesome. Congratulations.
0: I really, really appreciate that, and uh, that really means the world. And again, thank you so much for for taking the time, and I hope if you're ever in New York or I ever come down to Hawaii, um, we we make it happen and I uh, get to see you, but um, thank you again for taking the time.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Perfect.